When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everybody welcome to the ladies who london podcast this is alex here um, i hope you're well i hope you've had a good week um firstly we're a little bit late with this week's uh, podcast i've had a, a few personal issues that i've needed to deal with this week so apologies for the slightly late uploading um we're going to be I say we it's me now isn't it it's not we it's me um i will be planning things a little bit more uh, in the future um, so that we can get everything up and running nice and on time um, but apologies for this week um, it's been a, a busy couple of weeks but with one thing and another um, but thank you all so much for the lovely messages I've had an influx of lovely messages um, after the, my first solo podcast um, yeah it was really weird doing it without Emily uh, very very odd indeed and in fact I saw her last night and she told me to send her love to everybody um, she's finished bouncing around at Butlins dressed like a big spangly beach ball um, and she's back in London uh, but she told me to say hi and she's missing you already we might get her back who knows I'm trying to tempt her back um, but thank you all so much for your lovely um, supportive messages it made me feel very warm and fuzzy inside and I'm glad you enjoyed the podcast. So before we start this week, a couple of um, bits and pieces. I've had some lovely messages from people relating to last week's episode, which was all about Crossbones Graveyard and the Winchester Geese, the area of Southwark, uh, around Borough Market, south bank of the river, um, and the story of this graveyard, which related to all of these, well, in the region of 15,000 people known as the outcast dead, amongst them a goodly number being the Winchester geese, or the women who worked in the sex industry in the area. And in particular, thanks to Kevin Whiting, who sent me um, a message on Instagram, and somebody then actually followed up with the same point. Um, Did I know about a song by Frank Turner called The Outcast of the Graveyard? And the answer is no, I did not. And I have listened to it uh, almost on a loop this week. Um, It's really interesting. So... Kevin said that I think you know he he didn't really realize until he heard the podcast and was like oh that's what it's about so I'm going to read you a couple of the lyrics obviously I can't put the song on here for you know rights but do go and have a look it's Frank Turner the graveyard of the outcast dead some of the lyrics so um they do mention the Winchester bishops in the very first uh um, verse they say work to my death for my very last breath I did the Winchester bishops to thank now the church held the keys to the brothel lit the window with a burning red light and I it's it's a really lovely song um and the verse two I just want to read you a bit of verse two because it it really um links in very nicely Um, It says, now the bishop snuck off to fresh pastures while my grave was grown over with weeds. No burial plots, just some forget-me-nots for the women they branded unclean. The wasteland was claimed by the city. They covered it with tenement slums for where we'd been for where we'd been left had never been blessed and they dug down and built on our bones. So thank you so much, Kevin, for letting me know about that. Um, 
what a fantastic link to last week's podcast. It's it's brilliant. I love it when you guys get in touch and let me know about things that uh, uh, that you've seen that link in. It's, it's it's amazing. And on that note, actually, I do have a little bit of news about some new blue plaques that are going up. Those who've been listening for a while, or some of you who've gone back and started from the beginning when you found the podcast, for which, well done, I appreciate your uh, commitment to the cause. Um, it was recently, a couple of weeks ago, announced there are going to be a few more blue plaques uh, for 2023. And there are some really interesting people um, who have been commemorated. Um, for our purposes, there are two in particular that we have talked about on the podcast. And if you follow um, Ladies Who London on Instagram, you'll have seen in the stories this week, I put up some information about this. The first is one that I am incredibly excited about, Sophia Duleep Singh. We spoke about her not too long ago, and um, I also spoke about her on Global Tea Breaks back when I did that during lockdown. Um, really interesting woman. She was a an Indian princess. She was also um, the goddaughter to Queen Victoria. And she lived in a grace and favour apartment in Hampton Court Palace. But when she saw everything that was going on, she uh, with, um, well, she went back to India and, and kind of saw what was going on with the, the call in India for self-rule. And she, she noticed that same call in amongst uh, women and, and the right to vote. So she got involved and she um, started, well, uh, protesting outside Hampton Court Palace and she refused to pay her taxes. She said, I'm not going to pay taxes if I'm not being represented. There is a blue plaque that is going to be put up on Hampton Court Palace, or rather a house that she lived in nearby, um, which was a grace and favour apartment, so a, a free lodging given to her by the Queen. And Anita Anand, who wrote the book, Sophia, uh, posted about it on social media. And I, we, we don't have a date for it yet, but I'm thinking, as and when the date comes up, wh- whether we don't try and do a little Lady Through London outing um, and maybe see if we can go along for the unveiling. Something along those lines. I don't, it's going to depend when it is. We don't have any info yet. But, you know, let's get, let's put a pin in that and have a think. The other one is Ada Sultan. Now, this is a, a topic that we did way back, one of the earliest podcasts we ever did, um, about Ada Salter and her husband in uh, Bermondsey. And there's going to be a plaque going up for Ada on the building that she lived in, in Southwark, in the late 1890s. So again, this is a fantastic opportunity for us to kind of go back and relook at these people and, and celebrate them and, and be able to remember them. And I, I really enjoy how the the things that we are we've been picking up in the podcast in the last two years, you know, the whole thing about this, we started it to 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 talk about the well, as you know, people, places, and events that people don't know about quite so much, and it seems like people are catching up. And I'm I'm going to say I'm going to say we're the trailblazers. Let's go with that. Um, so I think it's wonderful. There's a couple of other people who are being commemorated as well: uh, Yehudi Menuhin, uh, Marie Stillman, Emily Wilding Davidson, and Claudia Jones. And I think there might be legs in a couple of them for some episodes, particularly Claudia Jones uh, and Emily Wilding Davidson. So we'll put a pin in that as well and, and I'll pop them on the list uh, for ones to let's come back to maybe in the future. Um, but there we go. So let's get into the podcast for real. Now, this week, I thought uh, we, we've done lots and lots of podcast episodes on women, on places and events. We haven't done that many on men. And one of those facts that I really love is, well, I say love, 
uh, I'm very intrigued by is there is um, a fact that is often said, which is that there are more men in Parliament named John than there are women in Parliament. Um, so I thought, let's address the balance a bit on the podcast. Let's do a John. So this week, we're going to be talking about a man called John Wilkes. Now, just going to preface this by saying this is not John Wilkes Booth. I said to someone the other day, I'm going to do John Wilkes. And they said, oh, the guy in America that shot Thingamajiggy. And I said, no, 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 different guy, different guy. Similar name, very different in, in era and very different in per, per, who the person is as well. So we're looking at John Wilkes. Now, John Wilkes is... He's around in the 1700s. He is a very interesting guy. He's a very outspoken pop, uh, journalist. He's a popular politician. He's a he's described as a bit of a hedonist, and we're going to go into that, which, you know, you know I love a little bit of sexy history. So we're going to have a look at that. Um, and he has been somebody who was both reviled and really loved as well, and is regarded as both a victim of persecution, but also a champion of liberty. Um, so... We're going to delve into his very interesting history. Dates, to start with, 1725 is when he's born. He dies in 1797, age 72. Um, He's born in London. Hooray! Um, Hence why he qualifies for the podcast. Um, He is the second son of a chap called Israel Wilkes, who, um, Israel Wilkes, it does seem that he was pretty well off. Not not hugely wealthy, but decently wealthy. Um, His dad uh, was a, a, a successful malt distiller. Um, so obviously made, you know, there's, there's good money to be had in booze. And, um, you know, he was able to educate his son, John, privately. So you can see that they've, they've got a good standing. They're not, you know, royal, they're not aristocratic, but they are in the upper, well, middle, middle to upper middle classes, I would say. He ends up having an arranged marriage to a lady called Mary Mead. And she doesn't really feature too heavily in his story because they, they're only married for about 10 years Um he she's the heiress to the manor of Aylesbury so when he marries her this brings him a ton of cash an absolute ton of cash it brings him this sort of well not quite title but he can kind of then claim he knows of Aylesbury and of the manor and that sort of thing and so what it does is it cements his inclusion in the gentry uh, which is really good for him and he is going to play quite heavily on that Aylesbury name. We're going to see that later. Um, They have a daughter together who he later has a very, very close and loving relationship with his daughter, which actually is something that endears him a little bit more to the people that really find him quite repellent. Um, But he and his wife divorce after about 10 years. And, and, you know, classic 1700s. He keeps the estate that she brought into the marriage. So he, you know, he does pretty well out of this. Thank you very, thank you kindly. And, um, he will use this name, uh, John of Aylesbury, he will call himself, um, almost in a slightly tongue-in-cheek way uh, a little bit later on. Now, in his younger life, he is very much, so I mentioned he's a hedonist, right? He is a bit known as a bit of a rake. He's, as my mum would term, a bit of a one. And I think we all know what that means. He likes gadding about quite significantly. He doesn't seem to be particularly bothered with monogamy. And he is part of a group called the Hellfire Club. Now, this is a fascinating club. And I was thinking, oh, do we do an entire episode on the Hellfire Club? I'm just, I'm going to kind of lump it into this one because it works really nicely. Now, the Hellfire Club, there are mixed reports on what it was. Um, And I think it depends on who you speak to as to how they want to portray it. But the majority of the reports about the Hellfire Club is that it was pretty debauched and very riotous. 
starts out in about the 1730s and it seems to be so in the 1700s as as guides in London we often if we're going around the Pall Mall area one of the things we talk about a lot are the gentlemen's clubs and I don't know if we've ever talked about them on the podcast this is the same area that the celestial bed um, can be found so it's all in this you know gentry area all of these gentlemen's clubs where the gentlemen would go together and chat about whatever and you'd have to have a link to go to the club so there's the royal automobile club you would have had to own a car which now it's like fine but back in the 1700s quite rare to do particular social clubs or political clubs you had to be a member of that political party um the travelers club you had to have traveled a certain distance away from london uh, in order to be a member of that and again not the easiest to do back then so you know all these little things where it was very niche and very exclusive and so the hellfire club kind of decided to almost be a slightly parody version of these popular gentlemen's clubs and they started out by well they they were, they were said to be sort of meeting places of and in in quotes persons of quality now i think we all know what that means i think it means rich and posh which let's face it is no guarantee of quality <laughs> i think we can agree um so they would get together and it was started actually under um a chap who uh, kind of went on to to create possibly the most famous of all of these hellfire clubs which is it becomes the one that that um john wilkes is part of his name is sir francis dashwood he is very much a hellraiser and a little bit of a prankster and one of the descriptions i found of him which i have to say was very happy to read is that he was known as a man with a true genius for obscenity so i think we can get a glimpse of what's going on here he started the club um in London and then decided that actually uh, they were going to take it out of London into a place called Medmenham in Buckinghamshire. Sir Francis Dashwood bought the ruins of St Mary's Abbey in Medmenham and he kind of moved this club into these ruins and what he did is he had the ruins rebuilt uh, in kind of gothic style for him to be able to hold these pretty uh debauched parties they started actually if if, if anyone knows this, uh, the city of london they started when they were in london in the georgian vulture pub which is a really ancient pub it's really beautiful but i love it's not you know what i would class as a particularly debauched looking spot so i can imagine that a gothic ruined abbey is much more in keeping with that the, the look that they're going for um what happened there was described variously as immoral acts which sounds terribly, you know, cover all bases, I think we can, uh, I mean, literally and metaphorically, I suppose. And a lot of the people who were involved in these clubs were also involved in politics. <laughs> Nothing changes there, does it, gang? Um, they had a motto and a classic, you know, posh political people. Uh, the motto is in French. So I'm going to give you my best French now. The motto was, Fais ce que tu voudras. Fais ce que tu voudras. If you speak French, you'll know it means do what you like. So their motto was literally do what you like, which I think gives you a bit of a sense of what is going on here. John Wilkes doesn't join it initially. Uh, He joins it a little bit later on and he joins it under the pseudonym John of Aylesbury. Not a great disguise, really, but actually he's more parodying this whole kind of... um, almost like monkish thing you know you're in an abbey and he's the the monks would always be you know so and so of 
Canterbury or whatever it was. And so he's he's kind of leaning into that a little bit. Bit of tongue in cheek stuff going on there. Um, they were known all of the, the the members of this particular. Now there were more than just this one Hellfire Club. There were a, a few dotted around. This was possibly the most famous. They were known as the Monks of Medmenham. Uh, anything but monkly behaviour going on here, lads. It is pretty exciting. Um, the when Sir Francis leases this abbey, he has it kind of re sort of bits of it rebuilt in Gothic style, so that he can, um, you know, they can actually use it as a as a venue. And he has the motto put into a stained glass window, which goes over the main door. So as you go into this place, it just is like do what you like in stained glass, which is just amazing. Um, it was believed that he had portraits uh, sorry oh, not portraits but artwork by Hogarth William Hogarth on the walls which is quite entertaining because Hogarth is normally I always de- describe him as a bit of a Debbie Downer he, he turns up you know to lots of different things and goes oh look at what's going to happen if you drink too much gin or oh no a rake's progress look what happens if you're a bit of a rake and a bit of a um you know a sort of frivolous guy and yet Hogarth was said to be a member of this club so like do as I say, not as I do there, Hogarth, huh? And what it was, so this, this artwork on the walls by Hogarth was said to have shown lots of these club members in various erotic situations, exciting pursuits and all sorts. And there was a library on site as well. Now, this library is not stocking Shakespeare. Oh, no. This library is stocking the best pornographic texts that you could get your hands on. Uh, so we, we're getting a sense of what this club is all about. Now, fairly obviously, we don't know too much about the detail of what went on. A few people in later years, actually including John Wilkes, did sort of spill the beans a little bit. So we have a few ideas, but we don't know about all the all the intricacies. Probably best not to, to be honest. We do know that they performed some sort of fake religious rites. It's all, it all seems, I mean, I'm thinking a little bit kind of... Um, you know when you uh, that what's the, the Sherlock Holmes film uh, with Robert Downey Jr. and they they go into it the well it's actually a church that's um Barth- St Bartholomew's church the the great that we spoke about a few weeks ago is where they filmed it um, and you go in and they were sort of doing you know they're all in cloaks and they've got this you know person on the table and stuff I imagine it a bit like that um, and supposedly these these religious or fake religious rites were kind of very obscene and really sexualized possibly there was talk of possible kind of black masses and satanic rituals but i mean that might be there's a lot of people say that that wasn't the case and if if they were doing that it was probably more tongue-in-cheek and a bit silly and there were some seriously important people who were part of it one of the people one of the names we associate say associate can't put my teeth in today um associate with are people like frederick prince of wales we we spoke about him with caroline of ansbach actually um being her son um, all manner of lords and peers and earls and dukes and possibly also benjamin franklin now that might that might sort of uh raise your eyebrows a little bit um but there is reports that he went and he stayed there and not many people were allowed to stay on site so he definitely stayed there and when you go to the website for it which i'll explain about in a bit he is mentioned on there we'll come back to that um everybody wore white outfits white trousers white jackets all that kind of thing except for the leader who wore a red version now the leader they called the abbot the other members they called monks uh, they called each other brother. So, you know, we've got this this faux collection of, of well, a monastery really going on um, in the ruins of this abbey. 
Now, what they would sometimes do is bring female guests along. And it, it, it did say that the members were encouraged to bring along, uh, and I quote, a lady of cheerful, lively disposition. So this could be a friend or a lover who was up for the, you know, whatever was going on. Could be sex workers, could be all sorts of stuff. So they were encouraged to bring people along and they met a couple of times a year. My favourite bit about this, though, is they had an AGM an annual general meeting in September every year, which lasted a week. I mean, you can only imagine what was going on in that week. Goodness me. They would come... So this is this is what we know from uh, the people who spilled the beans a little bit later. The members would come across the river. So the, the Abbey is on a little island in the river, and the members would come across the river um, after darkness they would ride in gondolas to get them across and they would be dressed in in masks and cloaks Uh, so there's a little bit of you know eyes wide shut kind of thing going on here it's all sexy and exciting and a little bit secret then they'd be greeted with with drinks of well now i've i've read brandy and brimstone can't imagine that tastes very good but still um and they would drink to the gods of darkness and then gradually throughout the night they would head through the abbey into different bits and supposedly the activity is getting more and more lascivious and obscene until goodness knows what was going on. Now in the 1760s somebody blew their cover. Um, John Wilkes put possibly as part of this but a few people started to kind of talk a little bit about what was going on here and a publication came out identifying the club and identifying the location. Rumours start spreading the public gets very interested and hilariously we get some tourism people started to well they actually flocked to come and catch a glimpse of the island that the abbey was on so all of a sudden they can't really do this pretty hedonistic ritual service whatever you want to call it um in the public anymore because they're going to be seen and they're going to know who's going and all that kind of thing so Francis Dashwood at this point moves the uh activities underground and by this I mean literally underground he's had some tunnels built um tunnels that sort of go into the caves in west wickham which is where he's he's bought a property and he'd had them decorated with all sorts of mythological terms and sexual symbols phalluses and all this kind of thing and this is where they take the hellfire club it's gradually disbanded in finishes disbanding in about 1766 so it kind of it doesn't go on for that much longer once they go underground um, so it's not quite clear what went on, but they were definitely having enough fun to want people to not know what was going on. Um, and it, you can definitely tell that they were having some fun. There was at one point, John Wilkes was called out to a duel by a guy called Earl Talbot. And uh, basically Wilkes had sort of slagged him off in the press and, and Talbot wasn't having any of it. And so he called him out to a duel and a time was arranged. And when Wilkes finally turned up, he said, well, it was, you know, he was a bit the worst for wear from having had a night at the abbey and he said i was come from medmanham abbey where the jovial monks of st francis had kept me up till four in the morning and then the world would conclude i was drunk and he said look i'm not really in a fit state to contend a proper duel can we put it off a bit so they did <laughs> they postponed the duel it did happen the pair of them just dis- discharged their weapons in the air so you know everyone goes home with their dignity intact and also their life which is pretty good but there we go now you can visit the hellfire caves there is a website um, and if you go to the website the website would have you believe that it was a pretty tame genteel affair there is no talk about riotous exciting sexual stuff going on and there is a section on there that talks about um, 
Benjamin Franklin which I think is rather interesting and I, the first thing I thought was when I went on the website I laughed out loud because it said a fun day out for all the family and I was like blimey that's changed so I mean some people say that the the stories of this very exciting lascivious stuff going on actually wasn't true and it was just a meeting of minds and a blah 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 whatever most of the reports say that there was something really quite you know um, obscene going on there the website would say no so uh, up to you go and take your uh, you know take a look and, and make your own decisions but um from what we know about john wilkes and his proclivities uh i suspect there was definitely something fun happening so we're going to move on from his love life although it, it you know it kind of links in he he's very much so i mentioned he he was married for 10 years but his uh, it didn't. It didn't last, and of course, you know, he wasn't ever really faithful, and he very much enjoyed having a bit of fun, a bit of few dalliances around the, you know, around the edges. And after this whole Hellfire Club thing, now, he, as I said, he was one of the people that started to kind of leak the stories about it. So he kind of fell out with them a little bit. Um, one of the things that I don't, I, it's really weird to to mention this about him, but it it is a part of who he was. He was, by all accounts, a very ugly man. And he was called the ugliest man in England at the time. <laughs> it didn't seem to hamper his prospects in any way, shape or form. And if you did call him out on it, he would have some very quick retorts. And he was very charming. Um, in fact, he said there was, um, he, he would boast, he said, it would only take me half an hour to talk away my face. So essentially, the fact that I'm really ugly, after half an hour of chatting to me, nobody cares anymore I'm that charismatic um he he said once he said um that he would need a month's start of his rival on account of his face would secure him the conquest in any love affair so he's like yeah I'm ugly but let me tell you I've got the goods to back it up so let me at him I'll have a little bit of a chat and then you aren't getting a look in which I think is really funny and in fact as we go on through the story you'll realize that uh he he makes enemies quite a lot. He makes a lot of enemies, and in particular, the uh, John Montague, who was the fourth Earl of Sandwich, said to John Wilkes on one occasion, he said, "Sir, I do not know whether you will die on the gallows or of the pox. So whether you'll eventually come a cropper and get executed, or whether all of your dalliances are going to lead you down uh, the STDs, STD route." And Wilkes basically said to him, "That depends, my lord, on whether I embrace your lordship's principles or your mistress." So this guy has got some comedy chops and he has got the goods to back it up. Um, in fact, he was very, very witty. There was a, a period that we'll, we'll come to in a bit where he was essentially in a fight with the king and the government, um, which <laughs> big enemies to have. And he was asked to join in a card game and he said, uh, do not ask me for I'm so ignorant that I cannot tell the difference between a king and a knave. Oh, some serious shade getting thrown there. Now, all of this debauchery, all of this excitement, he seems to have got a bit bored of it all. Um, I mean, not entirely. He still carried on having a jolly old time by the sounds of it. But, you know, the Hellfire Club, when he starts to sort of, um, at the late 1750s, when he starts to kind of leak a few bits of info, um, they oust him a little bit. He's like, oh, you know what? I need, I need a hobby. Let's go to politics. And this is what he does. He he gets elected as the MP for Aylesbury in 1757. Um, so this link to Aylesbury from his from his uh, estranged wife is doing him very nicely. Thank you very much. Um, and the first three years when he was MP, by the looks of it, he didn't really do much. He sort of had the 
MPship and was like, yeah, yeah, cool. And then three years later, he decided when it was, um, he was up for re-election in, in the general election, he thought, actually, I, I kind of want to hang on to this. There were 500 voters in his constituency. He paid three of 300 of them £5 each to vote for him. I love this. I'm not going to pay them all. I'm going to pay enough to get a majority and just slightly over the half so that I'm sure that if a few people don't turn out, I've still got it. So yeah, he paid 300 of them five quid which is you know going to be a lot of money once it's added up um to to basically vote him back in so they did and he got back in now in 1963 he caused a right rumpus he published a journal called the north britain so it was a, a it had different editions and it you know kept kept publishing it was sort of like a little mini newspaper if you like and in when it got to edition 45 he slagged off the king king george the third and his advisor now what had happened George III had arranged for his very close friend uh, to be Prime Minister. This was not particularly popular, generally, and John Wilkes thought, well, stuff it. I'm going to call this out in my paper, and he did. This did not go down well. It was seen as libel, and actually seditious libel. Um, Seditious libel is, I had to look this up, I didn't know. Uh, It's a criminal offence to publish or otherwise make statements intended to criticise or provoke dissatisfaction with the government so you can see that him going <laughs> this isn't on is you know is, is along those lines and he was arrested for seditious libel now he argued he said look I'm, I'm part of the government um it's part of my job to hold the government to account and call for accountability so really um, it's not seditious libel I'm part of the system I am trying to keep it on the straight and narrow and it went before the judge and the judge actually rejected uh, the, the case and he said no he said um, that John Wilkes being an MP had parliamentary privilege which protected him from this and the only way that he could be brought on, up on charges is if it was really serious treason felony or a breach of the peace which it wasn't of any of these and this was really popular this was hailed as a win for free speech and for liberty now he then doubled down he he published a well I've read that it was a slightly pornographic article called Essay on Woman. Um, now, clearly, we, we can see he likes to ruffle feathers. He likes to disrupt politics. He's He, he wants to get stuck in there and, and, you know, call things out that he is not OK with. And he, he's not worried about getting into trouble for this. And in this essay, he attacks the king again. And this time, this was taken as libel against a member of the House of Lords. The case came before Parliament. Now, before the case had been fully heard, Wilkes was injured in a duel. He'd been called out to a duel by a guy called Samuel Martin. Samuel Martin called him, I love this, the most treacherous, base, selfish, mean, abject, low-lived and dirty fellow that ever wriggled himself into a secretaryship. Just fantastic. You want that on your tombstone, don't you? Um, they, They had thought, actually, that... Well, it was. It came out that Martin had, had been doing some target practice that summer, and a few people thought that actually this was a bit of a government plot to kill John Wilkes. You know, shut him up once and for all. Um, and so, in 1763, they had a duel, and Wilkes was seriously wounded by Martin. He was shot in the stomach. He wasn't killed, um, but he was seriously wounded. And so, he wrote to the Speaker of the House for a leave of absence. Um, this was rejected, and he was then kicked out of the House of Commons. So once that had happened, he loses his parliamentary immunity. So this case that he's up up on, um, which hasn't been fully finished, 
now means that he hasn't got the protection of all of this. So he thinks, right, stuff it. And he legs it to Paris. And he's there for a good few years, actually. And he comes back a few years later, um, back to the UK, and amazingly, he gets a seat in Parliament. Again, he's elected MP for Middlesex in 1768. He is, to do this, he has organised his supporters. He's got a 6,000 strong contingent of weavers coming from Spitalfields who went through the streets with banners and they were any carriages or, or um, stagecoaches that went past they were forcing them to take the colour of Wilkes uh, which is a blue a blue standard so to take the colour on their carriage so that they're kind of parading around with this on and if they didn't what they did was they would chalk the vehicle um, with a slogan Wilkes and Liberty so that you know he's he's very much going on the on the Liberty sort of uh, election call really people are they're very pro- I say that the parliamentarians and the the royals are very anti-Wilkes because he's he's disrupting stuff he's making things very uncomfortable for them the people however are very pro-Wilkes um and amazingly he won after being elected he was arrested and what happened is when he was taken into the prison the crowds descended on the prison and they were getting a little bit worried they were chanting Wilkes and Liberty Wilkes and Liberty and the troops at the prison panicked a little bit and they opened fire and they killed a handful of people and this kicked off uh, quite a few disturbances across London. So there's a lot of support for Wilkes here. However, he was found guilty and he was sentenced to 22 months in prison and fined £1,000, um, which means that then basically he lost uh, his seat. He was expelled again from, from that seat. So, you know, you can't stand. And this is where people start to go, but hang on, we elected him. We wanted him in this position and you're not letting it. When he comes out of prison... He was elected three times in one year as an MP for Middlesex. And each time, Parliament overthrew it. And so the people start getting a little bit, hey, you know, come on, gang, we, we've elected him. And things start to get a little bit tasty. It starts to question the validity of elections and the will of the people. You know, if they're, if they're saying this is what we want and Parliament's going, mm, we don't agree, that's not exactly democratic, is it? So he comes out of London, out of London, he comes out of prison, um, and he takes a role as Lord Mayor of London. Uh, he was very generous and very popular, but he did rack up enormous expenses for his official duties. Now, the role of the Lord Mayor of London is an unpaid role. Uh, and I think we'll, we'll come back to the Lord Mayor role in a bit. It's of the City of London, I should say, to be specific. Um, because there's been quite a few interesting people and I've got I've got one lined up uh, soon that where we're going to cover off a little bit of that. Um, he ended up in a lot of debt and he was elected again as MP for Middlesex and this time he was allowed to sit in 1774. And this is where he starts to really take on the role of reforming. He is very supportive. Of course, 1774, those of you who are based in the US, this will be ringing some bells going, mm, well, this is exciting. This is, you know, American Wars of Independence era. Yes, it absolutely is. And not only that, John Wilkes is on the side of the Americans. Um, he keeps up dialogue with them. He he supports the side of independence in the war, which of course is pretty scandalous back in England. And the king, the government, they are not on his side with this. So you can see he is making powerful enemies everywhere. He also puts forward, a couple of years after being um, elected, um, that all men not just property-owning, posh, rich ones. All men should be allowed to vote, which, again, is not a popular uh, thing to happen. He's 
pretty much fighting his corner on his own on that. When it goes to a vote, I think he gets a handful of votes from the from the MPs on his side. So it is really not popular at all. He also campaigns against rotten boroughs, uh, places where the number of voters was, it was just a handful of them. And so essentially, I mean, I, I literally mean a handful, um, they got to elect a member of parliament. So you could put, you know, your mates in there and be like, well, vote for me. And that, you know, that's how some MPs got in. Um, he also campaigned for the freedom of the press as well, for um, the press to be able to report what was going on in Parliament and in hearings, in court hearings too. And this was very unpopular. They didn't want people to know, you know. It's that thing about Parliament should be answerable to the people, um, but they don't always want to be. And they didn't in this time. They wanted to do their thing and let the people know the bits that they wanted them to know. Now, eventually, he fell foul of radical people. See, he was obviously quite a radical, but there was a lot of other radicals around. And eventually, you know, as he got older, he got a bit more conservative, to be honest. He started going the other way. And the people who were still radical and still wanting change were like, yeah, you're, not, you're not really our standard bearer anymore. And he lost his seat eventually. And when he lost his seat, he was like, eh, I'm kind of done. And he retired from politics. Um, and so he, he retired from politics in the late 1700s. He died in 1797. Um, and there's not a huge amount of info on his latter years, to be honest. He looks like he just went off and did his own thing and, you know, probably had a bit of a jolly time doing it. Now, where you can see him, or sort of see him, is the statue of him just south of Chancery Lane on Fetter Lane. Um, it's one of the talking statues. There's a few of these around London. You go up there, there's a little QR code, you zap it. And it will then, he will talk to you for a couple of minutes and tell you about himself. And this is where I first found out about him. A good, probably about 15 years ago now, when I was wandering around. And he's always stuck in my head. Because I think, if I remember rightly, that talking statue mentions that he was the ugliest man in England as well. Um, but I'm just going to leave you again with that lovely quote, which I think is just so much fun uh, that he that he gave um, to the Earl of Sandwich. Sir, I do not know whether you will die on the gallows or of the pox. And he replies, that depends, my lord, on whether I embrace your lordship's principles or your mistress. So there we go, my lovelies. That is it for this week. That is John Wilkes. Not John Wilkes Booth. John Wilkes. Um, as you can see, he's quite a he's quite an interesting chap. From, you know, super popular to a real disruptor, a real thorn in the side of the king and the government but a very very interesting guy i'll pop a photo up on instagram so that you can see him i mean there's a couple of caricature pictures of him which i mean to be honest maybe aren't that far away from from the truth given that he was said to have been the ugliest man in england um, but i think he's an interesting character so come and let me know if you've got any links to john wilkes anything you want to uh, to share uh, please do come and let me know and if anyone is going to the hellfire caves um, then also please let me know I think maybe we should do a little outing or something it'd be rather fun to go and see I'm very intrigued to go and have a little look around and, and kind of you know see what how they're how they're explaining what happened there and uh, whether or not there's any kind of wink wink nudge nudge bits or whether whether even the pornographic library is still there who knows who knows but that is it for me for this week my loves thank you so much for coming along and I will see you next week when we're going to have a guest on the podcast um, I will tell you more about that next week but for now lots of love have a great week I'll see you then bye